Welcome to Mind to Make, Episode 7. we got Jeremy Glenn with you as always. And on this week's show, I'm speaking with illustrator, cartoonist, and visual artist Michelle LeFade. Uh, Michelle's been on my radar for the better part of five or more years, and I, I really love the style in which she works. Um, I find it quite unique, and um, I think she's really acutely aware of the necessity for curation in this time of social media. Um, in this interview, we talk about the importance of staying true to your own vision and how uh, your own voice can really be an inlet to your own creative discovery and, and peace of mind. We talk about what it means to be a professional artist and how time can play a big role in influencing branding and how it's important to sort of stay true to your artistic vision through the rebranding process. Uh, as I said, we talk about social media and how that's playing a big role in defining uh, artists and how people see them. And um, we talk about playing with audience perception, scale, form, minimalism, balance, a whole lot of things, as well as Michelle's um, personal practice and process uh, in, in creating her own art, um, as well as topics uh, related to fetish, feminism, the sexualization of women in art, all that and a whole lot more in this episode. So without uh, further ado, I bring you Michelle LeFade on Mind to Make. I'm here with Michelle LaFade. How are you doing, Michelle? Good. How are you? Good. Thank you for coming in. No problem. I really wanted to have Michelle in. I've been a fan of your work for close to, I don't know, I almost say like five years, maybe a bit more than that. Mm -hmm. I think the first time I saw your stuff was, I think it was even before the beaver somewhere. Maybe I'd seen it online or something like that. But do you want to give a description of what it is that you do for your art? Sure. I'm a cartoonist. I'm an illustrator, I guess. Okay. I don't know. I always go back and forth between using those two words to describe my work. But I always work with India ink on okay. paper. Typically, I mean, sometimes I do some painting. I've done a few murals and things like that. But um, my preferred medium is India ink on mm -hmm. paper. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I guess that's how I would describe it. Yeah, that's Cartoons, cool. ink. Yeah, I mean, initially it's funny when I saw when I read some work of yours and I was reading it described you as a cartoonist. Yeah, and it, for some reason it didn't. I didn't put that together like that. That's what you did. Yeah. But, but I looked at some of the the some of your earlier work on your blog yeah. website, and it's a little more apparent there. And I know you had read you said sort of said like, well, I've done you know some of my four frame work or some of yeah that kind of thing. yeah. So I've done like I don't know. I guess. Maybe that's why I go back and forth between using mm -hmm. illustrator or cartoonist. I think that they can be related and they can be two very different things. But I do like to do panel cartoons sometimes. And I really like using narrative. Mm -hmm. But I'm I'm working on putting together a show right now. And a lot of the pieces will be sort of sequential. Like they'll involve narrative. And even though they may not be like paneled cartoons, mm -hmm. but... I just think that there's a lot of like interesting things that you can do with humor that happen in cartoon or illustration that like 
I don't know, it's difficult to, for me to, to think about doing in like a different medium, I guess. Yeah. Is there something about humor in particular, like that makes it a bit easier to characterize? I think humor is like a good way to sort of like dissect any issue. Yeah. Like I think that, I don't know, there can be a lot of contradiction in it. There can be a lot of, I don't know, it can be slapstick or it can be insightful and there are different ways to play around with it, especially in cartooning. Mm -hmm. Yeah. How did you get interested in, in doing cartoons in the first place? Well, my dad is a cartoonist. Yeah. So like when I was younger, he doesn't, he doesn't do it so much now, but he still, he still draws. He's still an artist, but yeah, he was a cartoonist when I was growing up. So his style, like his aesthetic, I guess was like, he, he was a caricature artist, but he would okay. also, he had a, like a, a strip in um, this kind of like political magazine that was local. Mm -hmm. So I guess I would, I like can often remember watching him like working out a joke and a lot of them would fly over my head. I really liked the ones that I could kind of relate to, yeah, you know, like, yeah. but that's what was cool about it is like, cause he, he's kept everything that he's done. So, um, he has like a little archive back at home and now I can look at the joke, you know, from the perspective of someone who's an adult who can kind of like understand yeah. like underlying themes. And, but I still liked looking at the cartoons and I thought that they were funny just because of uh, the style that he would draw them in, okay. you know, okay. or if he would sort of like explain it to me or try to. Yeah. So I, I guess because being around him and I, I, I don't know if he agrees with me, but I think that like my aesthetic sort of comes from like the way he would draw as well. Mm -hmm. Like definitely. Just the, I don't know, the way he would draw legs or like, I, I got a lot of that from him. Yeah. I want to talk a bit more about aesthetics with you, but while we're on the, um, sort of in the beginnings of things. So were you taking classes to do that? Or do you, did you find that you kind of had an inherent talent for illustration just based on what your dad had done? Or were you doing a lot of just study of his own work and then sort of trying things out on your own? I don't know. It's funny because I feel like I've always been pretty comfortable drawing or doodling, I, but so I have a bachelor's in graphic design Okay. and I went to Oakhead University. So towards the end of my time there, I had an elective, whatever. I ended up taking a cartoon class. Okay. I don't know what made me, I, I guess I just thought, and I thought it'd be something fun to do. And it was a summertime course. And it was with um, this woman who is actually such a talented cartoonist in the city. Her name's Fiona Smith. Okay. Um, her work's really cool. And she was a great teacher. We had people from all different backgrounds at the school coming together. So there were some students who were insanely talented watercolor artists. Mm -hmm. There were like people who were coming from advertising. There were people, there, there was this one student who was, I think he was like maybe 70 years old. He was coming back just to do oh, a, wow. a degree in illustration because he felt like it. So we had people from all different walks of life there. And so something that I learned right away is that the best thing that you could hold on to when it comes to illustration or cartoon is like doing your own thing, mm. you know, and what you have to bring to the table because you would see people tackling like a project or a problem in all these different ways. And it was so interesting to see how everyone's mind worked a little bit differently mm -hmm. and everyone had an appreciation for 
how different everyone would approach something yeah. and the work that would come out of it. And so I just felt really encouraged because I didn't feel like it was something that I had to try hard to like fit into the way that everyone was doing it or yeah. I don't know. I could just do my own thing. Yeah. And so it started, that's when I really, that's when I think I really started to get into it. Mm-hmm. And then I just felt like I had found something that I was passionate about. And that's when I was like, okay, this is actually wonderful because this feels like something that will bring me peace. Like it's like an outlet, you know, in a yeah. different way. Whereas at the time I was just feeling very like confined and restricted by design, just a personal thing. But sometimes you just get a little bit, you know, cranky yeah. with, with one thing or the other. So yeah. it felt really good. And that was sort of when I, st- like, when you talk about, you know, seeing my work five years ago or whatever, like that would be the beginning of it. You know, mm. that would be when I first started to like show people that I did this. Like a lot of my friends didn't even know I could draw at that time. You know? Oh, really? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Cause I, I wasn't ever public about it and I didn't mm-hmm. really consider myself an illustrator or anything yeah. like that. I know. I find that distinction very interesting when it's Mm -hmm. almost like you go from amateur to pro Mm -hmm. is almost like it's just the decision that you have to say okay i'm just gonna make it public now yeah and all of a sudden and it's like oh and maybe i'll i guess the professional part maybe indicates that you're getting some kind of compensation for it but i don't necessarily think that's the case initially because i feel like you just have to have the courage to be able to say like here you go what do you and like open it up for other people and yeah and yeah I it. definitely wasn't like expecting for it to like create some sort of income for me <laughs> right. when I started out like it was definitely just something that I was doing for fun and it was an easy way for me to like get some observ some whatever little minor observations or stories or mm-hmm. things that I thought would be funny to other people whatever like out there yeah and I wasn't about to be like a stand-up comic or something like that. So yeah. I just thought it was like a good way to spread jokes. And so one of the first things that I did was like a little zine. Um, and it was just all these like little four panels. of, And they were super simple, basic. But they were just like little stories of like sexual encounters that I had. That private, were, private parts? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So... I don't know. I think all my girlfriends like got a kick out of it. And I guess I thought it was like a little bit, I was a little bit nervous to once I got them. Okay. So I put it together and then I was going to be showing my illustrations for the first time. Mm -hmm. And so to go along with that show, because the work was, I would say like more illustrations were on the wall. So it Mm -hmm. was still ink and brush on paper, but it was more detailed and it was sort of a different series altogether that I called Body Party. Okay. And then to go with it, I had zines at the show and that worked for me because I think I would have felt uncomfortable putting those right up on the wall. I think that would have been like a different thing. But then, you know, once things get cracking, like people are coming in and opening up the books and then I'm starting to like look around and I got a little bit like, (laughs) oh, I feel so exposed right now. Yeah. But I mean, that's one of the best things about showing your work to other people too at the end of the day, because 
you know, they're laughing and they're like, this is so relatable. Like, yeah, whatever. This, you get to see the reaction to, to me or like, yeah. oh, my God, this is so hilarious. So I forget what led me down this path. But anyway, <laughs> yeah, that's where, that's how I got started. No, I was just I think it was just talking about um, just putting yourself out there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that sort of establishing yourself as like, OK, now I've begun this this career in earnest or something like yeah, that you know yeah, that you're yeah. then saying like this is what i'm kind of choosing to do not as though you're you're bracketed by um by that particular mm-hmm. work mm-hmm. but just to put it out there and be like no mm-hmm. i'm doing an official show and this is what it is and now i'm well i think it is really easy to get bracketed by like declaring mm. yourself as something these days well probably at any at any point in time but i don't know there's so much um self-branding now and i find that that could be dangerous because i think that when a brand moves and evolves it takes so much time to like make sure that the public is ready for this change or like whatever i find that it happens with musicians often Mm -hmm. they'll release some new album and people are very uncomfortable because it's so different than what they fell in love with that artist for you know Mm -hmm. so when a a corporation or a business is moving a brand forward, it takes so much time so that they can make sure that the public is ready for that change to happen. Mm. Right. Cause they don't want to lose anybody, but that's their game. And so with artists, it's so funny because I noticed that a lot of people are doing that, like so closely attaching their self to their brand, to Mm. their art. Mm -hmm. It's like, I don't see how that couldn't be restrictive, you know? Mm -hmm. And I'm thinking about that a lot lately um, about like just in general, like social media and like how much you are presenting on this platform just for the taking. And I don't know. It's like, I want to, I mean, it was something that I was going to talk to you about today was because I've looked at your Instagram Mm -hmm. profile, Mm -hmm. which you seem to curate. Like, mm-hmm. like, you know, it seems like you've got, it's not like you're just posting up photos of like the latest meal that you've eaten. Like almost yeah. everything on there is well curated, I would yeah. say. Yeah. But it's something that's interesting that you just sort of brought it up yeah. on your own. Cause it's something that I generally ask people about, like. Yeah, you need to. Yeah. Well, just, just because it's, it's so relevant. Yeah. It seems like it's more and more relevant all the time. And I, usually what I'm asking people is, you know, how much is social media defining like your work or how you think about other people's perception of you. And Mm -hmm. I just find it such an interesting piece of the puzzle now because it wasn't, I think, like you said previously, and maybe it was just the way that media worked. If you were reshaping a brand or a new album was coming out and, you know, like I generally refer to the sort of like bigger musicians, like say Bowie was such a good example of recreating Mm -hmm. himself almost with Mm -hmm. every album he was a different persona Mm -hmm. and it was perfectly okay it seemed to work but maybe that's what it was maybe it was like you need the time Mm -hmm. for the public to sort of take this breath of okay i mean almost with with him it was almost like you expected that to happen so you were sort of waiting like what's going to be the next thing that he's going to come out with yeah yeah, and so maybe that was something that was almost inherently built into his following but yeah, there are definitely artists who who have done that, like Kubrick, you know, like yeah. it's like you take like this director who has explored all different types of genres, but there's always some underlying, I don't know, like some energy that makes the film beautiful. Mm-hmm. 
and and inherently yeah. Kubrick. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. so him at the same time, but yeah. not afraid to move around a little bit and mm-hmm. see what a Kubrick film would be like if it was a thriller or yeah, if yeah. it was sci-fi or yeah. if it was. And maybe that's the thing is like you, you're perfectly able to reestablish your brand as quickly or as slowly as you like, but yeah. don't be surprised if you're the people who liked what you were doing before, maybe don't like it as much now or. Yeah. Yeah. You just yeah. have to adapt. Like you just have to expect that your audience is going to adapt. Yeah. You know, like try not to lose like your core or whatever it is mm-hmm. that it makes your work you. Yeah. Yeah. I'm going to shut this down. Kitty cat meow 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 meow. Hit it with the heat to the heat to the how. Miss Jackson, oh she with a crown. Brand new sound, got a brand new style. Coming with the banger like boom boom pow. Wow. Ooh ooh child. Jenny Jackson comes soon to your house. I was going to ask you a bit more about the style that you work in. You, you said that it was to some degree influenced by the work that your dad did. Mm-hmm. What are some of the other things that have kind of influenced that style? Or do you think had has have had some influence on that style? Well, and I guess I'm referring specifically to like your earlier. Um, yeah. Ink, yeah. Ink I know. Work. That's what's funny is like, I feel like, I don't know, like I'm changing the way that I approach. Well, I'll call it like a problem. Or something that I want to draw or some idea that I have. But my style is changing. I guess when I first started out, I was really interested in pushing what we talked about in the beginning, like the aesthetic that I think that I got from my dad, maybe yeah, yeah. pushing that even further out and drawing a lot of women and drawing like different bodies and like exaggerations and what have you. And I was thinking about why I was doing that because after you show people what your work is like, then they start to ask you questions about it. And Mm -hmm. I think that's when you start to think about it a bit more. Like I think it's something that just comes out naturally. And then you sort of become a little bit self-reflective Mm-hmm. And you start to wonder why you're doing what you're doing, like <laughs> right. a little bit, like not, yeah. in, not in like a, Oh, who am I? But yeah. just like, Oh yeah, I guess um, there are a lot of ways that you could do this. Why did you choose this way? Yeah. Um, and when I thought about it, I just thought that some of my work is pretty sexual mm-hmm. or has to do with those themes. So I thought that I would exaggerate the body parts that like felt the biggest to me maybe while I was with someone else or, or whatever, like that's what really stood out to me. Like that's what I could think of to make certain things weightier than others or, Mm -hmm. and, um, and then I got really obsessed with like playing with scale and like trying to sort of like see how large I could make these figures and, play with how that would make people feel in a in a setting or in a space Mm -hmm. so like painting like a very large woman that sort of like holds space above an entire room Mm -hmm. so that's something that I was interested in for a while and now I'm finding that I'm trying to get away from being so concerned with everything linking up and the whole body being so like perfectly drawn that well I mean the way that I thought Mm -hmm. it should be and I'm sort of like 
getting more into trying to see how little I can get away with drawing to convey the shape or the form mm. or or to show the image. And so using like very minimal strokes or or forms. Mm -hmm. And when I start out, I'll sort of like sketch out an idea or a body or or whatever. And it'll be a lot, there'll be a lot more information there on the page in pencil. And then I'll sort of squint at it and like try to imagine how much of this is unnecessary. Right. You know, even in a face or or what have you. And things don't need to connect but your mind just connects them afterwards. Right. So it's like the information that really needs to be there is much less than what you think mm -hmm. because people aren't idiots. Like, you know, you, you can look at something and, and you can understand that there would be a shoulder there, yeah. you know, yeah. but the stronger line is going to be maybe the angle of the arm or something. And then to, and then balance is very important to me. So it's like, looking at all the space that I'm using and trying to make these forms and shapes sort of work harmoniously with each other to balance a page and people will connect everything for you. Mm -hmm. Do you know what I mean? When, when they look at it. So that's, that's sort of like the new work that I'm, that I'm preparing for this show that I'm hoping to bring together in the spring has, has a lot more of that feel to it. Yeah, and you. This is the work where you're using different textiles as background or maybe foreground objects to. Oh, film, or yeah. Is that... Well, I was doing that too, um, because I was. Yeah, I was using some uh, photographs that I had taken and sort of like doing some digital collage work. So, I mean, I guess this started before I went away, but that had to do with like physical space that I had, like in my actual life, you know, because okay. I, I moved out of my studio space because I was planning to travel. So I needed to sort of like cut down on, on cost of living. And it happened sort of organically because my studio mate ended up moving to New York. So oh, okay. I was like, okay. So I was working in a much smaller space and I was getting into photography a little bit. And so I was using photos that I had taken as textured backgrounds or collaging them digitally sort of and mixing them with my illustrations. And then that was something that I carried on while I was traveling because it was easy to sort of do on the go. Like mm -hmm. if I didn't have a studio space everywhere that I went, it was okay because I could be working in my computer. Mm -hmm. um, so that that was sort of like born out of necessity, but... I also was struggling a little bit with like trying to use color. And that was something that always kind of, well, not always, but it started to get to me after a while. I was thinking, oh, I wish that I was more comfortable <laughs> using color. Like I don't yeah. really know how to incorporate it. And I really didn't like using solid colors so much. Like if I, if I started working with gouache or acrylic, like just felt like it was too heavy and I started working with colored pencils and I liked sort of like the sketchy messiness mixed with the very like clean lines that sort of held something together. So again, just like breaking out of being so obvious. Mm -hmm. And so 
that was all happening sort of at the same time. And also like colored pencils are easy to travel with too. I can work on something anywhere that I go. So sometimes it's just like, it doesn't happen necessarily because it's like this conceptual thing. It's like out of necessity, but then it was a way for me to like, you know, experiment with color a little bit more. What I like about that work, though, is especially the photographic digital collage Mm -hmm. is it seems to put the characters that you're drawing on a complete like it's literally like a different plane. Yeah. But it really pushes them to the forefront. And I don't know, it seems to really hyper realize them to some degree. Yeah. Um, Even though I find the work that you do in brushwork also has that same characteristic, like I was going to say that the. There's something about the characters that you draw that have an innate narrative, regardless of whether there's text on the page or not, mm-hmm. even if it's implied in what's going on with it. In some cases, it seems to be implied because there are other characters that are relating to them. Yeah, so yeah. there's a sort of something there. Yeah. Yeah. There's a there's a heightened sort of sense of realism. But with those ones, it's almost like taken to the to the next degree. And then there's color to it. So it adds a, like a third dimension yeah. um, of kind of realism. But it's interesting how it kind of how these things I guess that's another thing, actually. That's another problem that I was trying to address because I don't like, I just feel like I just draw a bunch of loners in Mm. nowhere land. Like, it's like, I rarely will have an environment holding people, like the people that I draw. And so that was another thing that I thought I could do with mixed media. Mm -hmm. I just felt like it just would get so busy when I was making some sort of background with ink. I've done some illustration that way, but I just felt like this would be like a a different way to approach that. But I like the idea that with the characters sort of with a, with a nondescript background, it really does focus the attention on the characters. Yeah. You don't have a choice. (laughs) And in a a way it does remind me a lot of political cartoons. And what I find interesting about the work that you're doing is like, I feel like there's an innate socio-political message behind a lot of what you're doing, whether it's intended or not. Like you might be, you're just making a joke, but in a sense that it's social commentary. Yeah, exactly. It really is saying something that's somewhat, that it's, no, it's really like a political issue. I think yeah. like you deal a lot with like a lot of strong feminist issues. A lot of your characters are are women. There's like strong women, like mm-hmm. the, the body parts um, show and a lot of that work, like whether you're emphasizing it for whatever reason, there's going to be like a reaction to how that's perceived. And I know you said like some people look at it and say it's, it's a very like sexualized work, but I think it's interesting that it's categorized as sexualized because it's just a, it's just a character drawn in a particular way. Why is it associated as being sexualized or not? So, I mean, in some, some cases you're, you're really drawing. Yeah. 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 It's like, it's, it's quite clearly sexualized. Yeah. Um, But I think it's interesting that there's sort of, an innately political message there regardless of whether you've intended it to be that way or not i i think yeah well i yeah i've been thinking about that a lot more lately too some of the cartoonists that i really like or illustrators also are men and okay so there's this um japanese artist called um namio harakawa Mm -hmm. and he like his his work is 
definitely like fetish illustrations. Mm -hmm. But his whole MO is like these enormous larger than life women who are dominating men who are like abnormally tiny, oftentimes used as objects, being crushed, being like tortured, what have you. So, it, often in really funny ways. Like, I mean, he has illustrations where like two women are just sort of enjoying like a cup of tea or something. Their stools are made of men who are just like right. bound and like have their faces inside of their asses. And so, <clears throat> yeah, I really love his work. I find it a huge inspiration. Do you like His it style for... is completely different than mine. It's like very ask, realistic. Yeah. And I think he uses pencil and maybe some ink. But anyway, it goes without saying that like, it's still going to be art that's produced by a male. Even mm. if it's, even if it is sort of like submissive males being portrayed, like there's this sort of fetishization of these, like, I don't know, of, of these types of bodies that he draws or, or, or whatever. And I feel like when you know that the artist is female, well, I would hope it changes the way that you look at what they're trying to say. Yeah. Like for him, it's more of just fetish. It's like exercising his own fetish as opposed to trying to make some, I mean, maybe he, I don't know. maybe he reveres I, this thing. Whatever. Maybe it's not one way or the other. Yeah. I think what he does is great. I haven't ever spoken to the man, but <laughs> you know, I mean, I'm not trying to say that he doesn't deserve to be able to portray women the way he does or what have you. But sometimes I think about, yeah, like how, how a message might be received from like what I'm doing. Mm. Like right now, while the show that I'm working on, it has sort of a political theme, but it's, I don't, I don't ever want to label it one way or another because I think that one of the best things about cartoons or illustration is just like the contradictions that you can make. And I think that that opens up the discussion more so than being so down the straight and narrow one mm -hmm. way or the other. But um, yeah, there was this um, theory that someone mentioned to me that the reason why certain articles of clothing that women wear, like be it heels or say corsets or, you know, typically fetish wear, mm -hmm. why it's so sexy is mm. maybe because it's harder for w women to get away when they're wearing these things. <laughs> right. They're trapped. Right. And, and they even went as far as to say that maybe that's why fishnet stockings are so attractive because they're literally caught in a net. Yeah. And I always thought that that was so interesting because sure, on the one hand, like definitely it's difficult to run in heels. It's difficult to breathe and run when you're in a corset. Maybe a short skirt will inhibit you a bit, whatever, tight clothes, tailored clothes, these images that we have could be seen as something that's more submissive. Mm -hmm. But I don't think it's always necessarily true that people sexualize those articles of clothing or women when they're in them because they are idealizing a submissive woman. Mm -hmm. You know, it's like, I think that when people fetishize a dominant woman, she's often seen wearing clothing like that as well. 
Yeah. So I've sort of been playing around with that as like a concept at large and looking at it in a lot of different ways. I did a residency in the, well, almost a year ago, like in the springtime last year. I was in Spain, so I was traveling a bit. And again, it was sort of like this issue of like, okay, if I'm going to be doing large paintings or illustrations, like how am I going to bring those with me? How am I going to preserve that work? Am I going to have to send it back? And I was sort of trying to solve this problem again. But I had always wanted to try to work in different mediums. So I thought that maybe it would be a good chance for me to do some sort of like performance or video work, because that's something that I could easily take with me. Mm -hmm. And so in this project, I was sort of trying to use, use my own body as like a reference for maybe work that I would do in the future. Okay. Um, so I was doing like a series of performances where I would be wearing different articles of clothing that are like particularly restrictive in some way, and then performing some repetitive tasks to the point of exhaustion. Cause that was another point that I sort of thought of when I was thinking about this whole concept is just that another thing that these articles of clothing might do is like, exhaust you prematurely like mm. you know you're not really wearing working clothes you're not yeah. really wearing something that's flexible or so yeah exactly so it's it, it can it can prematurely exhaust you and so that was sort of the basis for the performances is that i would like perform this repetitive task over and over again until i would get tired or sweaty or until the posture that I was taking went from something that was idealized that you would often see in one of my illustrations to something that was ugly, hunched over, struggling, like something that wasn't idealized, but still wearing the same clothing. Mm -hmm. And so like, yeah, so that's something that, that I've been sort of exploring lately. And then I'm just trying to like rip open that concept and look at it from a bunch of different angles and involve photographic work and illustration cartoon and the videos that yeah because you're sometimes traveling or because you're you're life circumstances are <clears throat> changing you're having to change your process mm -hmm. but are you are you using a similar sort of process when you're uh, producing something like do you do you always sort of start out with a blank page do you always start out with a certain set of tools at your disposal before you get into work is there any kind of uh, routine that you like to do like it, it it's different from day to day because as you know sometimes it's like you wake up with an idea mm -hmm. and you're ready to go and you sit down well i'll sit down to my desk and i'll start like sketching something out or i'll see something that someone else has created or i'll see someone out on the street or something and i'll think about an illustration but then sometimes it's, um, I don't, I'm not having one of those days and I don't, I don't, I'm not inspired by much. So when I have some day like this happen, then I'll look at 
another drawing that I've already done and I'll try to think about another way that I could have done it. Okay. So I'll try to like lately I've been also like trying to draw objects and animals a little bit more because I'm trying to like break out of only drawing people all the time. Right. So I'll look at something that I've already drawn and I'll try to unpack it in a different way and see if there's another way that I could come to this problem and, and solve it with a drawing. Mm. So that's a really good way, I think, to get out of a rut. Cause it obviously like everyone talks about it, but it's really difficult to sit down to a blank page. Yeah. Yeah. And then also sometimes I'll just go through my sketchbooks, maybe ones that I'm not even working on anymore, but from further back, because I'll always have something lying around that I just didn't use or I didn't evolve or just was stupid or forgotten or I drew when I was stoned or something and like seemed so stupid at the time. And then I'll just try to think about it in a different way. So I think that that's probably like where the piece really comes from <laughs> with me. Like, cause if I'm able to just like sit down and think about something and focus on one thing and try to make it work, like that's like meditation almost, you know, yeah. like that's really calming. Yeah. And also that's why I really like working with ink and brush because I just find it's like, so calming to just be able to try to make like such a straight line or like mm. the the exact form that you want and i'll often like well i'll always not often i'll always sketch something out like a million times in pencil before i find like the perfect well what i think is like the perfect shape at the time to make the image look the way that i want it to there must be an inherent limitation i guess be, through through both medium like is is there sort of like a fine point that you have to reach between the two so that you can achieve the same kind of line between both like both mediums like i'm speaking particularly in this case of pencil and ink yeah like do you find that it takes you that like a while before you can find the line that works well with the brush that works the same as well with the pencil or, yeah because yeah. i don't know i guess i haven't really thought that much about it but i guess when I'm thinking about something in my mind that I want to put onto paper. Mm -hmm. At first, I just want to get it, get it down there. It, it, it's, it's probably similar to writing. You just kind of like vomit something out right. and then you have to go back and say what's unnecessary here edit, edit, or edit. say, what is this missing? Yeah. Am I really like cracking this home or is it missing something? I was, I was reading um, Sylvia Plath's journals a little while ago. And something that I thought was so interesting is that she sort of lays out in these diaries a little bit about like how she would, she would work. Mm -hmm. And some of her writing had to do with the mundane, just her day. So she would, she would recount all the events that happened in the day. And by events, I mean like, whatever, you know, yeah. just very basic things. But then she would pick out the moments that something beautiful happened and she would just extract them, bring them over to another page. Then she would just expand them. She would pull them apart and add all of this like floral, beautiful language and really try to nail exactly how she felt when she was looking at it. And maybe beyond how she even realized she felt at the time when she was writing it down mm -hmm. the first mm -hmm. time or when she was experiencing it. Right. Mm -hmm. So it's like, that's sort of 
the same thing that I would do with um, something that I'm trying to get onto the page is I'll have this thought in my mind and I'll just get it out. So it's just there on the paper. It looks like crap. It looks like a doodle. Like it's not pretty at all. And then I'll think, okay, what's unnecessary about this? Or usually I guess I'll, at first I'll probably like add things to it or I'll probably try to make it like work together like as perfectly as possible, get all the moving parts there. And then I'll try to peel it back as much as I can, like mm -hmm. take out all of the unnecessary stuff. And then, like I said, like sort of like squint at it and sort of try to imagine like the most important parts and how big or how small they need to be. And it's so different because when you're working in pencil, which is just line work, really, like sometimes I'll shade things in, but that's rare. Usually a lot of the things that I draw with ink are also very much lines, but mm -hmm. sometimes blocks of black and white are there. And it's really important to me to like be able to balance the page with that. Cause I think that is what makes something appealing. And so sometimes it's difficult to imagine how strong a block of black is going to sit on the page when it's not really there. And you have to try to think about what that's really going to be like yeah. and how big that shape is actually going to look when it's negative space yeah. rather than just being an outline of negative space, mm -hmm. you know? Mm -hmm. So I would say that's how I sort of get started. And often like I'll use grids and I'll, I'll measure the space. If I'm working on like a piece that I know is going to be part of a group of work or like a, a tr like sometimes I'll just work on sketches that I think later I'll scan and I'll make into a digital piece or maybe I'll make into I'll, I'll include them in a zine or maybe I will just make prints out of something mm -hmm. it's not the same to me like I can use whatever paper I can use whatever part of the paper it doesn't need to be all perfectly aligned but if I'm working on a, a, a piece that's going to stand alone then I will use a grid. I will make sure that the space that I'm using is sort of balanced, like beyond what I can see visually, just as a guide mm -hmm. and then go from there. Yeah. Yeah. Being limited in my sort of visual artistic endeavors. Yeah. I, it's nice to hear, almost nice to hear you say that you'll use like a grid for something. Because in a oh. sense, I think like, you know, there's this idea that, you know, you've got your space that you're working within and then yeah. you can be very like free form. Yeah. And this is how creation happens and creative oh. work works. Yeah. But when, yeah. but when it's time to perfect the idea, then maybe you are using tools like this and it's perfectly fine to do something yeah. like that. And I know like there are some artists obviously who don't work that way. And then there are like, plenty who do very, i mean people precise. who are making like photorealistic yeah. oil paintings are definitely using grids yeah in a different way than i do like i'm using them to just visualize space they're using mm -hmm. them to actually like go from an image here to an image here mm -hmm. but i feel like i also get that from my background in design because right. tension and balance and line and all of these things are elements of design and so using a grid was pretty much like if you're not using a grid when you're laying something out like what are you doing right yeah and i don't know i always 
like that was, you know, probably one of the things that I got so like my panties in a bunch over at the end of design school because I was so tired of rules or something. Yeah. I don't know. It's just so typical of like 23 year old or whatever. <laughs> like, But now I just find it like very helpful and something that makes the obviously makes like the blank page a little bit less intimidating, right? Because you're like, okay, I know that I have this space, this space, this space, and mm -hmm. this is how I'm going to lay this out. Mm -hmm. And then it's also helpful sometimes because when I'm working on a series of three or four images that I would like to, I would like them to be seen as a group, mm -hmm. I find that using a grid can also help to bring all of those pieces together mm -hmm. because there's this underlying math that visually, whether you know it's there or not, people will feel it. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And of course, I mean, you can create imbalance by using a grid as well. Right. And those things are important too, because like I said, tension, you know, mm. sometimes that's created by making an imbalance. But I, I don't know. It's That's a contradiction in itself too, because at the end of the day, I do feel like tension is about balance in a different sort of right, way like a negative balance yeah or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah yeah right exactly. it couldn't exist without balance being something that's yeah positive, for instance yeah yeah and that's something that i feel is everywhere i guess i feel like people are always trying to balance energy in a room mm. people are always looking for balance in music or like searching to hear it or it's something that's just inherently human yeah yeah <laughs> well thank you so much for coming in and and chatting my pleasure thank yeah you. and maybe we can do it again in the future sometime yeah okay thanks thank you if you like what you heard on the show today and would like to support it i would encourage you to go to my patreon page and become a patron patrons will get access to exclusive content and can help decide which guests come on the show and what i ask them as well as other rewards along the way Support will enable the show to become bigger and better in many ways. There'll be a link to the page on both the Mind to Make website at www.mindtomake.com, as well as in the show notes in the description for the podcast. Thanks again so much for listening, and please tune in next time.